I'm Jim Kaplan. I'm a lawyer, writer, walking tour historian. I'm the uh, one of the founders of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association, and I've done a number of articles for the New York History Almanac, as well as for this podcast on various subjects relating to New York City history. In this one, I thought we would go to more recent history. The financier and the playwright, the story of brother and sister, Bruce and Wendy Wasserstein. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Jim Kaplan joins us with a story from the recent history of New York City. Jim lives in New Rochelle, New York. He's an attorney, founder of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. His article on Bruce and Wendy Wasserstein recently appeared in New York Almanac and was first published by the Museum of American Finance. You write that Bruce Wasserstein, a financier and corporate takeover advisor, and his sister, Wendy Wasserstein, a Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright and author, were among the most accomplished and famous New Yorkers of the late 20th and early 21st centuries, and you say they were part of the revival of New York City? Can you tell us more? Yeah, I think, uh, and now I'm talking about the period that I lived with, and I actually knew the Wasserstein's growing up. Uh, they were, uh, uh, New York was in a terrible state in the mid-1970s with the New York City fiscal crisis. And many people, including Felix Rowiton, who was supposedly one of the major gurus, uh, felt that the city would never recover. I don't want to say ironically, it did recover because of uh, a number of people, some of whom were recently profiled uh, in, in an NBC uh, television show, who were basically were people who had gone to jail, like uh, uh, Ivan Bosky and uh, Leonie Helmsley. But there were a number of people who really, I think, were quite important and probably are not recognized now, uh, who were... Uh, important in its revival. One was Ed Koch, by the way. The Wasserstein's uh, are probably not as well known today, I think, because they uh, died fairly young. They died, uh, Wendy died uh, in 2006 at the age of 55, and Bruce died at the age of 61. But they were really leaders in two important disparate fields that were uh, revived uh, after the fiscal crisis, starting in the 1980s and into uh, the 1990s and 2000 uh, until their death, uh, let me um, start as to who they were and and mm-hmm. what they did and, and how they uh, uh, got to where they will. Uh, they were essentially the children of Russian-Polish uh, immigrants who uh, initially uh, came to Brooklyn and lived in the uh, the Flatbush area. Uh, I I think as their father, Morris Wasserstein, was in the textile business. He was in the ribbon craft. Uh, He made ribbons and prospered. I think, obviously, the family prospered. They went to Yeshiva Flatbush. uh, But around the uh, 1960s, he moved to Manhattan, to the east side of Manhattan, which in a way was a step up financially and socially. And I, I think his, his real goal, he had a, a great desire to assimilate into American and New York society, as did many Jews, not all, of, of, that, uh, of that era. And uh, he wanted to see his 
children become prominent, i.e. potentially leaders of the New York City community, and uh, in a sense, he or they succeeded. So I think their start really was uh, starting in the upper middle class area of Brooklyn, but uh, uh, their move to Manhattan was, I believe, quite important. Uh, uh, Bruce, for example, went to the McBurney School in Manhattan, which was a a YMCA school, Mm -hmm. and uh, Wendy went to the Calhoun School. Now, both of those schools were somewhat different from Yeshiva Flatbush in uh, uh, Brooklyn. Uh, And and I think that was, in a sense, their start to uh, Mm -hmm. the the more, you might say, upper reaches of New York City society. They were fiercely ambitious, and I'm sure they got that from their parents, and Mm -hmm. shrewd about how they packaged their careers. Bruce went to the University of Michigan, which is where his older sister Sandy had gone. She also was in many ways a, a trailblazer in as a woman executive. She uh, was a product manager at General Foods and later was a corporate communications director mm-hmm. for Citibank. So she had a fairly high-level uh, economic position. She was, uh, I believe, married twice, and she also died relatively young. She died at I believe the age of 60. They were very close. They were um, uh, about two years apart. Wendy, uh, while at the University of Michigan, Bruce was on the uh, Michigan Daily, where he did uh, some uh, uh, muckraking story about one of the trustees. Uh, And uh, uh, from there, I assume he did well there, because from there he went to uh, Harvard Law School, where he was in the Harvard Law and Business uh, 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 program, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, obviously, going to Harvard was, I think, quite important to the Wassersteins because it indicated that they were now, at least educationally, at the highest point of the Ivy Leagues. Right. And Bruce later went to uh, got a Knox Fellowship in England, but that, in a way, would uh, start his career, and, and they were always very careful about how they managed their careers. Or After um, uh, Bruce got back to New York City in the early 70s, he went to work for the uh, law firm of Cravath Swain Moore. Cravath Swain Moore, in many ways, was the leading wasp or Gentile firm in the city. Uh, somebody like Bruce wouldn't, norm- wouldn't have, uh, 10 or 15 years earlier, been able to be hired when the big Wall Street firms really didn't hire Jews or women. I I think uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg talks about how when she got out of Columbia, she first uh, applied to every New York law firm and none would hire her because she was a woman. Uh, uh, But in any event, it was, I I really believe because of the civil rights movement that, uh, uh, you know, things were opening up for people of different backgrounds. And Bruce, having an excellent background, was able to... uh, uh, get into uh, uh, one of the elite uh, Wall Street firms. and uh, But in many ways, that was just the beginning uh, for Bruce. So I'm, I'm going to let me now shift to Wendy, if I may. Uh, Wendy was a little different. She went to the uh, uh, Mount Holy, uh, she went to um, the Calhoun School, which was kind of a progressive 
school on the Upper West Side, not particularly denominational, certainly not Jewishly denominational. Uh, I, I don't think she was as uh, successful academically, although she did write for the uh, school newspaper, the Calhounder. She was the editor for two years. And uh, uh, then she, uh, uh, when the time became time to go to college, she, she uh, applied to the University of Michigan, which was in a sense the family school. Uh, but she was. She also wanted to go to uh, a Seven Sisters School if she could get in, and she was waitlisted at uh, Mount Holyoke College, which was something of a progressive Seven Sisters School in uh, uh, in um, uh, Mount Holyoke, Massachusetts. One of their most famous graduates, by the way, was Francis Perkins, who I did a previous podcast yeah. on. Right. Uh, so. Um, uh, it wasn't as easy at Mount Holyoke. Uh, I think, you know, she was, as, as a Jewish girl from New York, she was not uh, similar to most of her classmates. She was a little bit of a rebel, you might say. She, she later, in her junior year, went to Amherst College on a, uh, an exchange program. Amherst was uh, an all-male college. She was one of 18 women. She uh, then came back for her senior year to, to Mount Holyoke, uh, where she majored in intellectual history. Uh, when she got out of Mount Holyoke, she really wasn't... Uh, as marketable as her brother, who had a degree from Harvard or uh, uh, law and business school. Uh, and she had kind of a tough time. She wasn't able to get a job. She was living at home. Uh, her parents certainly had enough money to send her. Uh, and she once said she was going to be on the Morris Wasserstein Fellowship. But she kind of had uh, uh, some time figuring out what her career was going to be. Her parents would have liked she applied to law schools and didn't get into uh, a number, including Fordham, which to her was, a, I guess to them, was something of a great town. Uh, and her parents wanted her to apply to, to lower-tier law schools. Uh, she did apply to and was accepted at, at Columbia Business School. But in this period of two years that she was living at home, she took a course in creative writing. She was always had some interest in writing at uh, the City University of New York, which at that time, it was 1973, had just embarked on a major expansion program to uh, hire some of the best writers to teach uh, students from the... Uh, uh, and two of them were Joseph Heller and uh, Israel Horowitz. So she was accepted into this program. Her parents didn't think much of it, but uh, uh, they wanted her to be a businesswoman like her older sister or a lawyer like her brother. Uh, so, so in any event, uh, Bruce was had a, now had a job at uh, Cravath Swain Moore, which was one of the uh, most prestigious law firms in New York City and represented many of the major corporations in, in America. Uh, this was a time when actually things were not that great economically. It was going into the New York City fiscal crisis. And there was something of a uh, uh, a recession, if you, or if you will, depression on Wall Street. I, I, I think in this period, uh, American corporations uh, really didn't need financing from Wall Street of the traditional type that J.P. Morgan did. They uh, 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 they were fairly entrenched in their. Uh, uh, because of corporate regulation uh, and securities regulation, and they were not uh, 
and in many ways, they were be, had become uncompetitive vis-a-vis the Japanese or German companies. It was said that they were they were stolid in their approach, um, but uh, uh, obviously, Cravath had a steady uh, amount of uh, corporate work uh, uh, from them, and Bruce worked under a fellow named Butler, Sam Butler, who was one of the the leading corporate partners at Cravath, uh, uh, who must have thought highly of him. Uh, but um, uh, anyhow, he certainly probably could have gone on to a career as a partner at Cravath, and nobody would have heard of him. He, he got involved with, um, uh, he began to do, uh, he thought he'd been interested in antitrust and mergers, and this was a time when antitrust regulation was just uh, relaxing. So you could do uh, uh, takeovers, although most takeovers were for stock. But he noticed, as did other people on Wall Street, such as uh, uh, Joseph Perella, who he later became a partner with, that uh, there were that the stock market was relatively low. And what that meant was that somebody who could buy up a company or buy the stock of a company could obtain its assets and sell off the assets at a higher price than they bought the stock for because it was a fairly significant inflationary period. So the assets of the company were worth more than the stock price, which was in a way depressed. So that if one could do that, one would be able to essentially could get the capital. One would be able to take over a company sell its assets at a higher price to pay back whatever debt was uh, uh, incurred. Uh, and uh, uh, that would be a very lucrative transaction. Now, it was uh, hated by uh, much of corporate America because it threatened the uh, positions of executives. Because what would happen is these so-called takeover artists would buy up their stock on the open market in, in Wall Street uh, uh, fire them, sell out the assets, and put other management in who they said would uh, run it more efficiently. And uh, uh, Bruce became involved at Cravath in some of these early transactions, and he had a real knack for uh, doing this. He had a, a keen analytical mind. He had extensive business background, not only from Cravath, but uh, not only from Harvard, but also from his father, Morris, who was a shrewd businessman. And from the University of Michigan, he'd had uh, significant press experience, which was quite important in these in these deals. And he was willing to work the 70-hour weeks, which one would have to work in, in a high-priced mm-hmm. takeover artist. So so he became a, a prominent as uh, uh, first at Cravath as an expert in these uh, uh, transactions, which were in a sense uh, just developing, and later he was hired by one of his uh, their clients, First Boston, a fellow named Joseph Perella, who was relatively new to this too. But this was a whole new industry in a sense on Wall Street, and uh, uh, Bruce and later Wasserstein Perella would be at, at the center of it, uh, and uh, uh, as, as a result. Uh, uh, first, Boston prospered as one of the leading uh, uh, firms on the street, which which specialized in these so-called there was called hostile takeovers because what you would do is you would buy the stock on the open market without asking the 
uh, people whose stock you were buying with it, uh, what they thought about it, which was the way a mergers previously would have been done. And uh, 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 they, they began to earn large fleas, and this began to transform, in a way, Wall Street and, to some extent, the New York City economy. The uh, 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 Wall Street and the stock market, which had kind of been in the doldrums, uh, began to uh, improve because of these uh, so-called takeover uh, transactions, or primarily uh, they would employ large amounts of lawyers and accountants, investment bankers, uh, public relations people, at high prices. So from, uh, from a lawyer's point of view, and I was a young lawyer who was involved in these transactions, it was great. You were uh, uh, making a lot more money, a lot of more money than you otherwise might. Uh, you know, you worked long hours, but... Uh, 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 and in a way, I would say Wasserstein and, and Perella were at, at, at the center of it. So uh, 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 the economy of the city actually began under Koch and, and, and to improve. Or certainly Wall Street became much more of a center of the action in the American economy. Because these companies who had previously been uh, uh, probably not located in New York, who had been... Uh, uh, had established management and just run along, could no longer do that. Uh, now, there's a lot of controversy about whether their practices of uh, selling off assets, laying off large amounts of people if necessary, raiding pension funds in some cases, uh, was appropriate. I guess my own view is that the American economy, in many ways, these companies became more efficient and therefore could compete with the Japanese and the uh, Germans. So, so uh, it, it, I believe he created a, uh, a significant benefit, and certainly a significant benefit for a lot of people in New York City, uh, mm. including, I suppose, myself as a younger lawyer. So mm. that was uh, uh, Bruce's story. Now, let me tell you about Wendy, which was in an entirely different field. Wendy graduated from uh, Yale uh, Drama School. She had connection with some of the people who would later be the leading people in the in the theater. The theater also was quite depressed in the uh, early 70s. Some people even thought the theater district might die. Most of the uh, plays were uh, imports from, other than Chorus Line, were probably imports from uh, England. And it was said that there weren't that many new American playwrights. Wendy, working with uh, people primarily from an operation called Playwright Horizon, wrote some off-Broadway plays. And basically her formula was that she would write about essentially herself or people like herself as they went through life. Uh, with the problems of uh, a woman living in New York who was you know, a college graduate who was, uh, as the women's movement was beginning to hit, she was very much interested in the women's movement, and which was, uh, you know, Betty Friedan and uh, now, and uh, she was a great believer in that, that women should, uh, like her sister, should have executive jobs or right to have executive jobs. Uh, that created certain problems for women of her age, uh, like herself, in that, uh, you know, they didn't quite know how to navigate socially what was going on. You know, where they said, did you want to marry, did their parents want to, when your parents would have wanted you to marry a lawyer, or did you want to be a lawyer? You know, that was kind of the, uh, uh, 
so her plays throughout her life would essentially work on that theme as she got older. Uh, every five years, they would she would have another play that was uh, uh, her, uh, in essence, the story of a woman like Wendy uh, as they as they they got older. The uh, her first play was called Uncommon Women and Others, which was. Uh, uh, a reunion of five people from Mount Holyoke who were basically her friends and discussing what their problems were and how they uh, uh, went there. Uh, by the way, one of the protagonists was named Holly Kaplan, which was not completely accidental. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and every five years she would have another play, Isn't It Romantic?, it was about a woman who was uh, five years older trying to make her way in the professional and social world, uh, Probably her highlight was uh, uh, the Heidi Chronicles, which came out in 1989, for which she won the Pulitzer Prize, which was about a 40-year-old professor who was doing quite well professionally, but was somewhat stranded by the women's movement uh, personally, she felt. In other words, uh, uh, you know, what do you do from here if you're a 40-year-old professor who's doing well professionally, but... Uh, socially, I suppose you might say she was having difficulty, and it describes the, the men she goes out with and the problems she has. And that certainly hit a chord with a lot of people. And she thus, after the Heidi Chronicles, I think was probably one of the leading, considered one of the leading American feminist, perhaps Jewish playwrights. Uh, but the point was that she was writing about uh, women in New York who were like herself, and, and that was, in a sense, new at the time. Uh, at some point, uh, you you wrote that uh, life imitated art uh, oh, in yeah. the okay. from the Heidi Chronicles that she decided to have a child but without uh, having a husband, right? Yes. Well, at the end of the Heidi Chronicles, you know, as it describes her tribulations with uh, uh, she decides uh, she's going to have a child out of wedlock. You know that it's time to. Uh, uh, if she can't get married and have a husband in a conventional way, she'll have a child without a wedlock. And uh, interestingly, that was uh, she was about 40 at the time, but at the age of 48, she, she did have a child out of wedlock, uh, uh, which was uh, described in a New Yorker article, I think. Uh, uh, it was kind of adventurous, and uh, for particularly for a woman who's close to 50, to have a young child was, uh, you know, not, I assume not that easy. I didn't know her at the time. that was, uh, But uh, uh, so um, uh, uh, she did write one or two more plays. Five was actually about a, a somewhat older, successful uh, uh, woman who uh, uh, had a friend who had uh, cancer, and there was some discussion of the cancer, and I noticed uh, that, uh, tragically, she died of cancer some, not too long thereafter, uh, in, uh, 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 which was a, really a surprise, or at least a surprise to me. I didn't know her that well anyway, but uh, that someone you know, uh, who I'd known growing up had suddenly, and a somewhat prominent figure, it was not known, at least certainly not to me, and I think to most people, that she was... She was even sick, but uh, uh, she died at the age of 55 in 2006. I think she's 
one of the most important feminist playwrights of the early mm. 21st century or 20th, 21st century. Uh, you know, there are different views as to who people are or who's important, but, but she really was quite important in the theater. I think also her plays uh, catapulted a number of prominent actresses uh, to uh, uh, to some extent, or they got their start, or to start them, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Glenn Close, uh, Meryl Streep, Susie Kurtz, all of them were in Uncommon Women and Others in uh, uh, in 1977. So I think she, she actually was very proud of the fact mm-hmm. that she was making work for important actresses through her plays, uh, and I think it was quite important in the American yeah. theater. All right, well, let's then go back to to Bruce, uh, he lived a bit longer, but uh, not not that long. He died in, in 2009. Yes, at 61. Bruce was, uh, uh, they formed a firm called Wasserstein Perella, which was one of the leading takeover companies. I suppose the takeover phase, you might say, on Wall Street somewhat abated. Wasserstein Perella was laid bought by uh, Dresner and Company for a very high price. So whereas he was certainly very well-to-do as a result of this takeover work. He was uh, became a, a, a wealthy man, I think probably in, uh, perhaps a, a billionaire, because of this transaction. And then uh, he left uh, Dresner to where Felix Roatan asked him to take over uh, Lazard Frères, which was one of the major old line houses. And he restructured Lazard Frères, I think uh, maybe pushed out the, the, the existing owner. Uh, so he really was one of the most prominent of the Wall Street figures, and really, unlike uh, a number of others, survived into the 2000s without taint of scandal, uh, you know, unlike, say, Mike Milken or uh, certainly Bosky. So, so, so he was uh, really a prominent figure. He was extremely wealthy. I, I think he later was one of the financial backers of the Clintons. Uh, I don't know that for sure, but I think so. He was also a close friend of Mark Green, who was the New York City public advocate, who uh, ran for mayor in 2001 against Mike Bloomberg, almost won. He was a Democratic candidate. Uh, mm-hmm. He had always had interests in politics of sorts, but I think uh, whereas in his early years he was involved in the you might say, at the periphery of the uh, Vietnam era, and the, uh, uh, had written anti-merger uh, uh, articles about, uh, he was actually worked for Ralph Nader. His, uh, I don't know if his views changed, but certainly his position changed. Did went Bruce and Wendy, did they like each other? Did they do oh, things yes. together? I think they, 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 they were very close. Uh, certainly in the period I knew them, they were very close. And they were very close, I suspect, their lives. Uh, and their, their success would play off one another. In other words, Bruce would say, uh, well, Wendy is the famous one in the family. I'm not famous, but right. I'm sure Wendy was extremely proud of her uh, her brother's uh, financial success, because that's what they were, they were trained to be. Now, I will say Bruce did have personally some, uh, you might say, issues. He had four wives, uh, uh, he uh, uh, divorced his first wife, and then he divorced his second wife, by whom he had three children, and then his third wife, he had some more children, and 
uh, was about to marry a younger woman uh, uh, around the time he died, or married a younger woman about the time he died. So he didn't have the most stable uh, uh, no. personal life, I suppose you might say. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, so anyhow, but, but um, I don't know whether it was his economic success that catapulted him to this. I'm sure that uh, Morris and Lola Wasserstein would not have been pleased with that. But then they were gone. Yes. Right? Well, I think yes. they may have been alive, actually, but I don't know. Okay. I, I, certainly, I never spoke to them. Right. Well, Jim Kaplan lives in New Rochelle, New York. He's an attorney, founder of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. His article on Bruce and Wendy Wasserstein recently appeared in New York Almanac. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore.